Welcome to another episode of Bar Talks, the podcast. It's your girl, Queenie, and today we are talking with Miss Beverly Cornell McGlynn. Miss um, Beverly Cornell McGlynn, I met her through a, another friend, um, and uh, she shared with me her story about foster care and her passions and the things that she's doing in her community. And I just felt that she would be amazing to invite to the podcast today and um, just to talk and get to know her. And as I've said so many times, we are more alike than different. Um, and I think today we'll be able to expound on that thought even more. So welcome, Beverly Cornell. Thank McGlynn. you so much for having me, Queenie. Thank you. I'm so glad you're able to join us today. How are you doing? I am. I'm good. I'm so glad that Molly introduced us. It's so fun. <laughs> yes, I am too. Um, Molly is amazing, and she um, shared with me a bit about you. And um, of course, I reached out. You know, she connected us too, and I thought it would be wonderful to talk with you and and just bring you bring you into my network and my community so that um, the listeners could meet you. You know, virtually and 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 hear the wonderful things that you've done and hear your views, um, especially right now in this current um, culture and time that we're living in. So I want to know about your journey with fostering and, um, and that passion. What brings you to that passionate place for fostering? So I, I don't think you ever grew up thinking you're going to be a foster parent. Like as a little girl, you're not like, oh, let's, you know, foster. That's not something that's kind of top of mind. However, adoption and um, what family means to me, not being blood yeah. related, yeah. has always been part of my experience. My mother was adopted at three. Wow. My father left our family. My biological father left our family when I was about three. Mm -hmm. And my stepfather adopted me when I was six. So adoption and what your family looks like has always been really unique in my family. Yeah. Um, and I mean, seriously, my dad, my I call my stepfather, my dad, my mm -hmm. biological father, father. So just mm -hmm. to kind of understand that for the context, mm -hmm. my dad actually was like, it was just as important for the adoption day as it was for like the marriage day. Like <laughs> that was super important and it was always talked about in our family. And people would forget like I was adopted. Like my grandmother on that side would be tell me all the time, like, you need to eat strawberries, it's in your blood. And I would look at her like, mm, no, no, it's not. So people actually forgot I was adopted too, which I think is beautiful on so many levels. So um adoption's always been part of my life. When I got married, my husband had a son from a, his first marriage and um being a stepmom that kind of was easy you know like yeah in the sense of loving somebody who's not from you was yeah. very easy for me and when we talked about building our family we i wasn't gonna have kids i was perfectly happy with my stepson i was good like i was 37 38 years old i was good but i really liked being a mom mm -hmm. And so we decided to try to have kids. And we unfortunately, after several years of trying, could not have children of our mm -hmm. own. And when we got married, we had talked about having one of our own and adopting one. That's mm -hmm. always been something that's been on my heart is adopting a child that mm -hmm. needs a home. Yeah. And I think kind of naively, you know, there is something like, like that you think you're gonna do better in the world. Like that's like, I just wanted to, I always wanted to leave the world better than kind of I came. That's yes, kind of- Yes, yes, me too, I understand, know. I understand that, yeah. Make my mark in some mm -hmm. way, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, um, when we couldn't have kids, 
we decided um, to adopt and we looked at all the different options of adoption. There's so many options and avenues and paths for adoption. And for us, we really liked the idea of fostering and then adopting from the foster care system. There are so many children that need loving, stable homes. But foster care and adoption all start from a place of loss. Yeah. And it's, an, it's a tremendous um, emotional experience. Mm -hmm. Even when you're starting to become a foster care parent and what you look at um, and will allow in your home, like to really look at the, there's like a, a very long form of like, will you accept a child with a disability? Will you accept a child who's Asian? Will you have to accept a child who's this? What well, is blind? Is mental issues? I mean, all kinds of, it's pages and pages and pages. Yeah. And normal parents just don't, they don't have a checklist of items. Like that's a very different kind of journey for people mm -hmm. to go on to be a foster parent. And um, so we talked a lot about what family means and what kids we could we could hold into our home and what our families would accept as well, and our community of people would accept. And that's a really tough conversation too because that's that's heavy stuff. So yeah. we um, and what resources we have. My husband's military, so he's gone a lot. So a lot of it the the raising of children is on me. Mm -hmm. So what could I handle on my own? So if there's a kid that has a physical disability, but they're 120 pounds, could I physically lift them right. to bathe them? Or like, yeah. that's just odd questions to ask yourself as a parent, right? Like, cause yeah. you love your kid no matter what, it doesn't right. matter. Yeah. But when you're choosing this path, it's a little bit of a unique uh, perspective. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how we got to that place. Mm -hmm. um, of fostering, but it was, it took years and it wasn't like, it's never like a snap decision. I mean, for us, it was not, it was years of talking. We did not, we got married in 2012 and we got our first foster children in the summer of 2014. So two and a half years, okay. um, later, okay. it took about a year for the infertility to figure out what was going on. Okay. And then it took about a year and a half to get the home studies, to do all the paperwork, to get the, the fingerprints, to get the fire inspection, to take the CPR classes, the med safety classes, take the 50 hours of mental, uh, or of, of the, like, just what it means to be a foster, a foster parent classes. It's, um, our parents, our, our friends always joke, like, if you want somebody to watch your kids, have McGlynn's watch your kids because we've been vetted in every way possible. Yeah. Like, there's no skeletons in our closet. Like, you can't, because we couldn't have been able to have foster kids if, and we had social workers in our home every month. And, like, it's just, you, you can't hide from that, so. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny that you're sharing that. Um, you probably didn't know. I used to be a foster care recruiter. And so as I'm listening to you, I'm like, yep, 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 mm -hmm. yep. yeah, I remember the process. That's, that, that's right. Um, not, a, not for the faint yeah. of heart. No. It's a, yeah, it's a very um, long and intense process. And, um, I, you know, in, in all of that, I still haven't figured out how we miss some signs and some of the foster parents wind up being, I mean, really cruel and evil people. Yeah. And because of exactly what you're saying, it's very intense and it's an extensive um, background and, and time spent. And we invest a lot. Well, I'm not a recruiter anymore, so let me plug that. But when I was, we invested a lot of time in vetting and finding amazing people like yourself um, to place children so that they could be safe 
um, during their transition or even if they decided that, you know, if, it, if they were going to stay with you permanently. So it, it, it grieves my heart um, yes. to know, yeah, to know that um, some of the children that we place from dysfunction, we actually move them into more dysfunction. Um, and we go through exactly what, you, what you're sharing. The experience that you're having, that's usually the experience for many of those that are soliciting to become a foster care parent. So, but I'm so glad that you and your husband, um, not only, you know, just understanding your story and your journey, not only did you choose fostering, but you went on to adopt. We did. And now tell me a little bit about that because how many, what is that family like? How many children do you actually have now? (laughs) Well, I have, I had, we had four foster children. Okay. Wow. Um, And very much what you say is um, very true. The children come very traumatized if they're older, especially. So we had a 10 and 11 year old sibling, half sibling, half um, brother, sister group that came into our home. Mm -hmm. Um, We were there like ninth home. Um, something like that. Um, and they had been traumatized even further in foster care by previous foster parents. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I, and even like with our third, um, was a baby, she was three months old, she was burned um, and was we picked her up from NCU's burn unit yeah. and allegedly by the father in a drug situation. And we had to sit across from him at one of the parent meetings, the group meetings. Mm-hmm. And my husband's like, how do I not kill this person? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's a baby, right? Yes, and, yes. and oh, any kid, like I don't wanna say yeah, a baby, but yeah. any kid should never have to go through. And the stories we read, like we were in a situation where we wanted to adopt. So we read stories of kids that were permanently separated from their parents that yeah. had been legally freed from the parents for whatever reason, many, mm-hmm. many reasons. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, most people don't know that foster care, the whole point of it is reunification. So yeah. you, you don't go into foster care oftentimes thinking you're going to adopt this child, that that's not the whole point. And that can be very heart-wrenching for foster parents too, because because, because if you truly do it for the right reason, you become very attached. Yeah. And it's, it's not always the best situation they go back to. Like it may be better than they came right. from, yeah. but you know that their opportunities may be challenging, even if they go back into that environment. So it becomes a ways, how do you support them outside of that as well? So it's very challenging. But um, we, from the get-go, wanted to foster. And we had this naive kind of feeling that we could save the world, (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And that love would find the way. Of course. Love would find the way and solve all the problems. That's all you need is love. (laughs) You're kind of taught that, right? From church and your parents and everything else is love will find All the songs say that. The songs. Right, right. I mean, millions are being made on songs (laughs) about this, right? Yes. And in reality, when you have trauma and you have loss and you have significant, um, hurt yeah. in these places it, it's it's becomes much more challenging yeah. um and the resources that are available and while the foster care system is a okay system it's not mm-hmm. a perfect system mm-hmm. and the mental health system is not a perfect system right. and the medicaid system is not a perfect, not system. A perfect system and getting all these systems to work together and to advocate for these children is really hard work yeah. and um so we, we were initially going to adopt a sibling group and after about eight, nine months, some things happened within the children that we realized that we were just not prepared to be able okay. to support. And uh, understanding that about your family is super important. Yeah. And um, 
we were we, we had to say goodbye to them, which was extremely hard. And uh, they were my children. Like I don't know how to describe it. They and when you say how many children I have, I, I those are my children, and I still worry about them and love them and think about them and wonder how they're doing and pray for them and like it it, it weighs heavy on my heart because I I want the best for them. But the, I, we were only one step in their journey. Like we were just part of their journey. Right. And then the little one that we had for a little while. She was a very temporary, we kind of knew that going in um, to that particular situation. Um, but she was beautiful and amazing and the best baby. And I just, oh my gosh, I just fell in love with her from day one. I would go shopping with her and people would just gawk at how beautiful she was. <laughs> and I mean, there was, I went to Walmart once and I was like, I literally had to like, don't touch my baby. Like, you know, like she was so pretty. People thought she was like a doll, you know? And I'm like, she's not, no, she's human and she's, you can't just like pick her up. Like, she's mine. So, um, but you, when you take care of a child, and this is how it should be, it's not always that way. Um, when you take care of a child, you have such an important job to provide them love and stability and all those things. But then in the foster care system, you have such a constraint to do that. And there's all these rules and all these things you have to do. And it's just really hard. It's a hard job. But after Aolani left, we um, we decided that we wanted, still wanted to adopt. We still wanted to go down this journey, even though we were heartbroken from three different children. We said, let's, let's, let's try for, you know, let's still say we're interested. And literally the day that we gave baby L back, we got Zeke. Wow. And he was two days old. We picked him up from the hospital and, um, they put him in my arms and he looked like a little old man. Have you ever seen the Benjamin <laughs> story? Yeah, yeah, he, was already, he was already grown. <laughs> he was already like this little old man. He was like very, like his like face was very, he was very like, like thoughtful, like you tell yeah. he was like thinking about things. And yes. he's a little old man in there. Like, is he, is he a baby? Is he a little old man? And um, we didn't know he was he was initially classified as a safe surrender because he, he was born at the hospital, and but some legal things happened and um, the paperwork was never signed by mom. So then he became considered abandoned. And mom gave false information. Mom, okay, so they couldn't find mom. So it took about a year and eight months of court visits and all kinds of things to get him separated from termination of parental rights and all those things. Um, they tried to find dad. They put articles in the newspaper. They went to the address she gave in New York. They did a lot of investigating to try to find. That's the thing I don't think people realize about foster care. Yeah. There is a whole process that happens behind the scenes. Everyone's like, why isn't he adopted yet? Why isn't he adopted yet? And I'm like, this is a process. Like they have to dot every I, cross every T, and make sure that everybody has been alerted and notified. Because if that's someone's family, they should be with their family, yeah. right? Like that is the way it's supposed to be. Right. So um, they did all that. And then um, February before his, his second birthday, which is in May, mm-hmm. he was officially a, a, a McGlynn. Wow. And um, I have never felt more of a weight off my shoulders because I could not lose that baby. After yeah. the three children, loving them and doing what you can, I don't know if my heart could have t- taken it because literally he's my life. Like he is such a gift to our family his name is Ezekiel because it means a gift from God like a, that is 
it's that's his name and that it couldn't be anything else and couldn't be anything different because that is what he has been for our family he is um all of our friends who know what we go through too we're like well if anything happens we'll come around your house we'll like we'll create like a barrier no one's taking that baby from you but you also know deep in your heart like if that mom wants that baby yeah you know like I wish I could have a conversation with her and just tell her how much she means to me and how much I love him and how I will take care of that you do know that like she had to go through something really big to leave that baby at the hospital. Of course, of course. She and has a story too. Such a story. Yeah. And I just wish her so many blessings because her story and whatever she went through and the loss that she gave, gave us so much. Yeah. And I don't know if she knows the ripple effect of that yeah. in this life. So I, I, she, I pray for her often because I just, I'm gonna get a little emotional. I just think what an angel for us. Yeah. So, yeah, she's 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 a she's a warrior, in my well, mind. I I love the fact that um, you found your Ezekiel. Oh, he found us. <laughs> I was gonna say, and he found you. Yes, um, yes. And the timing couldn't have been better. Right. You know. So that's right. beautiful. So um, I want to move a little bit into okay. uh, you do. You have a few things that you do have going on, and you've done quite a bit in your day. You've had a podcast, and you'll write. Um, you're a mom, a, a wife, and you do many things in your community. And you and I found you to be very outspoken. Um, you and I just most recently connected, but um, of course, we started following each other on social media, and um, I've watched you speak openly about. Uh, like I said, you you have a, a your, your your outlook about family is absolutely remarkable and it's beautiful and I wish more of America felt the way you felt as it relates to <laughs> as it relates to parenting and family and what family looks like regardless of the cookie cutter mindset that some people have um, family is broad and it's a huge spectrum and it's an array of color and experiences and you know, um, connections. And uh, I read a little bit of your blog, Luminate Tales. Um, and I just wanted to read a little bit from that. And um, I think the listeners will then get an opportunity to, to understand a little bit more about you and your story and why it's so unique and um, why it's so beautiful. Uh, so I'm, I took a little bit out of it. You had written my lived experience most recently. Um, I'm going to try not to flub it, okay? <laughs> I am a foster mom to three black children, the adopted mom of a black son and a stepmom to a white son. It wasn't until my fierce loyalty and love of these children grew that I started to see how deeply ingrained racism is in our society. My first real wake-up call was when Trayvon Martin was murdered. Our own foster son was about the same age and wore hoodies and was truly innocent that I started to see the people I loved in the faces of those being murdered. Um, our foster daughter also felt extreme shame in going places as a family because so many people looked at us and whispered. I kept telling her that we should be proud to be a true example of what love and acceptance is, not just mere tolerance. All of a sudden, black people talked to us more. All of a sudden, our white friends didn't share racist jokes anymore, thank goodness. We were part of a different club. I actively sought out black connections for my kids. 
so that they saw people who looked like them, who they could ask tough questions about the police and black history, because that simply was not my experience. And no matter how much I learned, I was never going to be black in this country. I'm gonna let that sink in for a moment. When I read that, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I was blessed to have a godmom that was white and her desire for me to understand my blackness was, was more important to her seemed like than it was even to me. Mm-hmm. Um, all she would tell me, uh, you know, cause I really admired her and I looked up to her. And unfortunately I had a black mother that was um, unfit at the time. And my godmother wanted me to understand women and to believe that women, not all women were that way and not all black women were that way. And she used to, she used to always tell me, you gotta meet Maxine Waters. <laughs> Here I am a little black girl on the East coast in North Carolina. Yes. Yeah, and my white godmom, who was a counselor, yes. is saying, you need to go to the West Coast and meet Miss mm-hmm. Maxine Waters. Um, about 20 years later, I met Miss Maxine Waters. That's awesome. So Maxine is my, was my godmother's pa- name. She has since passed away. But the year that she passed, the year before she passed, I actually met Maxine Waters. And, and it, it, it then made me understand how important it was to her for me to I mean, for me to be able to talk because I grew up in such a white world, right? Mm -hmm. And she understood that. She never denied that fact. And she understood the importance of me, one, being accepted, even in her community, in her fold, nobody looked like me but me, but also to understand um, what this world was going to offer me as a Black woman. Mm -hmm. So when I read you, when I read this, what you wrote about your sons and your daughter as well, um, I empathized with where you were coming from. Yeah. And I, I, I immediately thought about her and I said, we, we really are more alike than different. We really are more alike than different. And the fact that it matters to you, that's huge. Because sometimes people are oblivious to the facts and therefore it seems not to matter to them and it could be because of naivety it could be because of ignorance could be because they're just ignoring what's happening but you chose to meet it head on so I want to talk a little bit about that and I want to thank you for writing that piece that you wrote because it's beautiful and I think more people should read it and I may if you can permit me to do so share it out because um it was such a great honest writing i mean it was beautiful um and i can't tell you i didn't tear up and i didn't cry it tugged at me a bit um (laughs) so even reading it it tugged at me yeah it Um, tugged at me when you were reading it like i was when i pressed the publish button it's very i'm very vulnerable and it put my heart out there and it it, it's a hard thing to do sometimes to press the publish button because it is so much of of uh, of me in that that's yeah. my my caring my love my everything um, and my son and my family my step my stepson they mean everything to me yeah. so but I, I think we talked a little bit before the call too that um you know i don't think that 
everybody accepts the fact that white families should adopt black children or children of a different culture mm-hmm. that that we do a disservice to them in some way or that there's this like rescue mentality mm-hmm. that goes along with it and when we filled out that form that very long form um you have to really question yourself and your family of what your family would accept too like mm-hmm. would would a black child be accepted by our family that's a really really interesting conversation it's a it's a it's like kind of facing racism in such and bias in such a headlong way right like yeah. we we would accept that but would people that love us and whatever like that's a really interesting conversation and we both gratefully and thankfully said yes that would be fine for our family um but when you for, it's very fair for people especially black people to not want their children with white people who have been horrible to black people historically yeah. it's a very fair concern why would you give something so precious to us and you know it's interesting adoption happens in the black community in a very different way right yeah, you don't necessarily adopt but like you're talking about how your godmother took yeah. care of you yeah. it may not be like a legal adoption but there's a lot of families taking care of a lot of kids that are not theirs in the african-american community mm-hmm. so it's happening it's just not as as legal in the yeah. sense of like a formal adoption that happens mm-hmm. um so it's definitely part of your a part of your community as well so it we when we took the class and stuff we understood some of the gravity of of it they talk about it like as a transracial adoption what that means um but in, i think i even in my piece i talk about it you know i'm the great 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 granddaughter of a confederate soldier who literally served under nathan bedford forrest the first grand night of the kkk that is part of my heritage and so um well i'm not very connected to that because i was adopted out of that community the southern community that 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 is that relates to um it's certainly part of my history Mm -hmm. and um to come from that you know and then i I think my my mother is most amazing Mm -hmm. because she always welcomed anybody at our table mm-hmm. and even said to her to me whoever is your friend is welcome here mm-hmm. i don't care if they're what color they are i don't care if they're gay i don't care if they're like they whoever is your friend and you love is welcome at our table mm-hmm. and that's powerful that is huge and you don't realize that in a lot of ways like what that means to you until later in life i think what that means in such a way and she literally was and people call her mom to this day like that's who she is and then i went on to study i, I lived in brazil i've lived in spain we had exchange students in our homes for a year we were literally indoctrinated into different cultures like i i, I even think the army is a different culture so like there's <laughs> worse than some of the foreign cultures i've been into um so I went on to study diversity and communication in college and I studied things like hip hop culture and storytelling and code switching and call and response and all this and not not to use the word but I thought that I was woke. Yeah, you <laughs> you know, like I thought that like I'm like shoot, I'm woke. I studied <laughs> I'm a, I, like I'm, I'm a conscious a, white girl. <laughs> I'm so progressive, I'm so liberal. Yeah. But I think those are actually kind of the dangerous people. Yeah because they think they know, but they don't know. They don't know. They don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that because they know, they don't listen. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, they already know. They already know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
so there's no listening, there's no learning, there's no, because they know. And I mean, I have dear friends who are African-American. I have, I, I, you know, I really thought that I was this, and when they talk about transracial adoption, I got this, this is totally fine. And then things like Trayvon Martin happened. Wow. And when you see your child as a mom mm-hmm. in the faces of children that are being murdered, mm-hmm. I can't sleep. Yeah. And when you can't sleep about something, that becomes real. Mm-hmm. And all that information, all that theory on code switching and call and response and the history and the sociology and the anthropology and all that, yes was an important part of the puzzle for me. Like it helped inform some of that, but it didn't prepare me in any way to see the reality of a child be murdered. Yeah, yeah. I remember a story real quick. I'll try to not <laughs> go too far off the, off the path here. Um, we were going, my, my stepson, my white stepson, um, had to do a, a um, thing for, uh, Boy Scouts, where he like, collected or dropped off stuff at people's houses for a, a canned food drive. And it was shortly after Trayvon Martin and the hood hoodie kind of thing, you know, so I have this like mental image in my head, right, of, of that. And they were running from house to house and they were running in between the houses, not on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And I saw, I'll call him C, I saw C running and I saw E running. Mm-hmm. And C didn't look the same as E. Yeah. And I worried about C and what the neighbors would do if they saw C running between the houses. When all they were doing was this innocent Boy Scout project, mm-hmm. right? And that created a whole conversation with my husband and I about our responsibility to make sure that C understood wow. his how he would be perceived. Mm-hmm. But we never had to think about that for E. Yeah. And so it, it, it's like these little moments of, of, of reality mm-hmm. that was never part of our reality before. Yeah. And that is like a na- naivete. Like if you don't have to for- face it on, why would you take on this, this really heavy burden? Like why would you not sleep at night? Mm-hmm. Like that, yeah. so when you start really digging in, that's when I think it becomes this. And I even think I put in there that my racial bias stamina is so weak because it's only a, a, a few years that I've had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Where people who have had to live this their whole life and generations and traditions and how heavy that burden is, is so, so, oh my gosh, it makes me just, my heart hurt for, for, for you. My heart hurts and aches for that for you. Yeah. So I, um, I'm new to the game Yeah, <laughs> and I literally have skin in the game now. Like I, I think that's an, like, it's an important phrase because I literally have skin in the game. No mom should send their child out into the world thinking they may be killed by the very people who are supposed to protect us. Right. And so, um, it's. And we were never told, like, I was never told as a kid to fear the police or to act a certain way or, like, yes, I had respect for them, but I never, like, it was, it was my mom was like, don't ever, like, you know, bad mouth a police officer. Right. Yeah. Well, you're going to make it worse. Like, that kind of thing was was taught, taught to me, but never, like, to put your hands on the, on the wheel or to not move or, that was never a conversation we had. So, I'm new to the game. Yeah. And I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And I 
even though I am, I feel like I have a lot of tools and resources, it's like every day, I feel like every day, I feel like there's something that I'm like that, oh, you know, that's it. Like, that's it. Like learning a story about a um, Tulsa or learning um, about the Chicago riots or learning about uh, Langston Hughes and some of the poetry or learning about like his stories. Like, it's just, it, it, it just mercy like oh my gosh I bawled during the entire thing like just seeing these stories to me it, it's so real to my family now it's through a very different lens than I watched it before you, I had you know I, I want to just um interject just a bit there because you hit on that it's it's you have skin in the game now it's yeah. different now mm-hmm. um you know and, and you said earlier you know there are there's always a controversy about white families adopting black children, right? Um, there's a few things there. Uh, so, and I've heard, you know, I've had conversations with many of my friends um, and associates along the way, and they definitely don't agree with it. Um, mm-hmm. for, 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 you know, reasons that are justifiable, um, but then there are people like you that are the exception in, 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 my, in my own opinion to the rules because um, you don't know what you don't know, but when you do know, you can't unknow it. Like no. you know it now. Um, yeah. Your experience is real now. Um, yeah. It's different when you are white in a white world and, and the blackness that you see is just a little bit that pierced through the shades because you may hear a little bit about black history in February. You may, you know, you know the culture because you see it on TV. Um, You know, you may know a little bit about the black mechanic that's down the street. I mean, it's like glimpses of blackness, but the real experience, you have no real, no real tie to. Um, And of course, the, the narrative that you know, you as a white, white culture have been given is not always the fact. It's not truly who I am. It's a narrative that you've been given, unfortunately. Right, spoon fed, literally yeah. spoon fed our exactly. entire life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> through the media, that, yeah. through education, yeah. through a culture, through yeah. music, yeah. through like, it, it's, it's like, like a brainwashing. That it's a cult, it's a cult of yeah. sorts, yes, yes. And it, and it gives you this, false narrative and false truly I mean it's it's just not really who I am and it paints all of us one way and it allows maybe two or three to stand out and be different and that is so unfortunate because um I think it's unfortunate for both of us right for both yeah, right it robs us both for it sure robs both both from just being able to connect as humans right and and just grow as humans. And yeah. I can learn from you, you can learn from me, and we can move through this space together. Yes. Um, instead, uh, it has it has created more of a divide and it makes everybody wants to separate. And I don't want to be next to them because they hate me. And God knows I don't want to be next to them because I think they hate us. And it, it's just a really weird- It's funny, but it's sad, right? Like it's funny, but it's incredibly sad. sad. It is. Yes. But when you have the experience of this person is who you are now responsible for caring for. Mm-hmm. It changes the game. And that's what brings you and I both to the same table because we now are truly more alike than different. 
we both want our sons to go out and be okay. We yes. want our kids not to be discriminated against yes. based on the color of their skin. Yeah. We, it, it has to be very trying for you because not only are you probably experiencing understanding the racial divide and injustice and, and inequality, but even colorism. Yeah. Because if you've adopted a darker yeah. skinned black right. boy and you have Which a my, my two foster children were very dark. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it was like literally yeah, like a very different it's, it's, okay. It's more Z is biracial. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So 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 understanding that as a dark skinned black woman, I deal with not just my blackness, but I deal with very much so. Because there's a yeah, there's a, well, that comes from boy people too. The the the, the house <laughs> slaves versus the field slaves. So yes, that comes from history that we have created, yes, created a lot of culture within yes. your culture. Like that's the thing within your culture, which is crazy to me. But yes, mm-hmm. and and, and you know, mulattoes were created not because I chose no because they were raped. Okay, so 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 it, it's very complex, and honestly. I mean, we, we, we thankfully have an opportunity to do different and be different. Yeah. But m- some of our ancestors were given this life and they were, they were, it was not permitted for them to be different. You have to uphold the rule over these people because that's, that's the only way we're going to remain in power. So th- I think relationships were forced to remain the way they were to just remain in power. And and we've come to a time in in our life, you and I, we share the same space, same time, raising children of color. Um, and we're able to choose and be different. We're able to say, you know what? I'm I'm not going to see I'm not I'm not gonna see all white people as bad people. Even though I move in a very conscious space. I want. Yeah, I, I'm kind of angry right now. I I, I can. T- I know you are because I've seen. I've seen some of your posts, which is which. I, I'm kind of angry. But, people but you, right now. you have a right to be angry because now you wake up and you realize you're part of. You have been part of the problem, even though you didn't even realize that you were part of the problem. And now you want other people to wake up and like. I want you to see this as an it. What are you doing? <laughs> so my son's life matters to, for them to see it, right? Life. But I'm also allowed the privilege of that because I'm white. A black woman can't be angry, right? Otherwise, she fits into the stereotype of angry black black man. God forbid a black man's angry. Like that is not allowed, right? So I, and that's what I was telling Molly even, is I said, you know, I'm gonna use my white privilege. Like right now I have some white privilege that I can use in a positive way. So for me, I'm using, and I have been blessed to use my white privilege my whole life, right? Like being yeah. able to go to the school to learn about culture and diversity. Mm-hmm. Like that's like to be able to travel and those things. So I, I said, it has served me well in many ways. And I'm very much acknowledging that. However, now that I understand it, my job to, is to utilize that black, that white privilege to help my black son and the black community. That is my job. So yeah, I'm angry and I am, I have family, I have friends that I have pissed off (laughs) and I'm pissed off at them. And I have even business associates, clients who are like, be careful. Like, I I mean, the words, this is, I mean, it's so subtle and the microaggression. Right. Yeah. Careful of who you're upsetting, like ripples. Yeah. And I was like, bye-bye. Like literally like, there's no business that's worth that for me. So bye-bye. Yeah. Because my son 
is the most important thing. I will be poor and I will be whatever, yeah. but I will make sure my son is protected. Yeah. So it was like, don't challenge mama bear because mama bear is going to do that. <laughs> yes. And so I was just, when it comes right down to it, like I want to do it in a, in a, in a healthy way, of but I will not stand for these microaggressions anymore like I will not this kind of subculture of conversation that occurs within the white community um and I think I just posted recently about that too like ways to kind of hit that like uh, let me think about that for a second because what you said bothers me Mm -hmm. and like like ways to like make them stop and think about what they said because I think there is a lot of they know not what they do because of the indoctrination that we yes. had yes. for 400 years of how we have some kind of supremacy or you know power over another person um but it is it's constantly checking myself because i have i have it yeah i have it yeah. wow and you you talk about um i'm in a new place well, first let me tell you this and I talked to one of my really dear friends about this because she called me and she's African-American and she called me, are you okay? And I said, you are not responsible for my white fragility. <laughs> like, do not, do not feel like you have to comfort me because we screwed up so royally as, as a people, okay? So I said, that's within us that we have to figure that out. So thank you for calling me, but do not feel like you have to comfort me in my whiteness, please. And she like laughed at me like you are. She's like, yeah. Beverly, that's so great that you say that, but I still care about you as my friend. Yeah. And I know you're struggling. And I said, well, I appreciate that, but that is not, that's not your job. Mm-hmm. My job is to learn and to grow and to, to kind of tackle this in every way I can. Mm-hmm. And my job is to tell you that I love you and I want you to, I want you to know that I'm here for you and I stand with you and I'm, uh, I'm on your side, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, but I had to ask her some tough questions too. Like, how do you, as a mom, like, how do I, how do I prepare my five-year-old for racism and bias? Mm. Um, you know, there's mean people. Yeah, I get it. Like, there's, like, that happens. But I'm really struggling with, we've had so many conversations. Like, he tells me that I look pink and my daddy looks white. Like, that we call talk about color. And um, he knows that he's a different color and he's a different race. So we talk about him being black and we have all kinds of books that celebrate his blackness. Mm-hmm. His hair is his crown. And yeah. like we talk about all these things and we have books that talk about um, really amazing black people who have contributed to our, our, our culture and our society in such amazing ways. And, and we like, we try to always say, like, you match him. Like, yeah. isn't it amazing we match him? <laughs> he is, he's convinced, and I'm not sure even how to tell him this. He's gray. He's not black. Gray, okay. I'm like, why are you gray? And he's like, because white and black make gray. Oh. So yeah. for a child, that's how they think, right? That's how they think. It's very simple. It's very simple. And it's so cute and it's wonderful. And, and, and we're trying to, like, like, how long is that cute? Like, we can't let him just think he's gray <laughs> as much as that's cute and what does it mean like we consciously make sure that he's exposed to miles morales and spider-man and black panther is one of the most amazing films ever made it's beautiful on so many levels and he loves it and i love that and he was black panther for halloween and he has black panther for toys and trying to find things that look like him and celebrate him in his blackness 
is really hard. Why people don't have to consciously find superheroes that look like them? Why people don't have to consciously find books that celebrate them? Why people don't have to consciously find, you know, the stories that help elevate them? But in the same time of elevation and you can do anything you want to be, you can be anything you want to be, you are amazing, you're a king, you, you, all those things, we also have to tell them to be careful, not show too much, mm-hmm. not be too brazen mm-hmm. in who they are, because our society says not to. Yeah. It's such a quandary as a parent. So um, I don't remember your first question. <laughs> no, this is good. It's okay, girl. It's okay, girl. It's okay. So um, I went off the path again. And no, I you know what? Back it, to the path. You're fine. You you gave a lot um, because you feel it. I mean, you're feeling it every day and you're owning your privilege and you're able to say, you know what, if we would have just had white kids, we wouldn't have to have these black conversations with them. Absolutely not. Absolutely. My life up until that moment did not include any of these conversations whatsoever. And, and you had black friends. And oh you yeah, had black very friends. much so. Very much so. I grew up, yeah, yeah. I mean, I literally, but you know, I will tell you this. Those friendships, since I've had black children, are much, much deeper. Like you talked about the mechanic down the street and the like these glimpses of blackness in your life. I have black friends, and that's kind of the thing black white people say. Well, I have black friends, so I'm not racist. I don't have bias. Like that's part of the progressive liberal part that's the problem, I think. Um, like I, I mean, I was in my black friends' homes as a kid, like mm-hmm. eating with them and like like playing with them. And mm-hmm. the majority, of my, my my neighbors were mostly black where I grew up. Right. But I still think I never really understood the blackness. Right. I think they showed me whiteness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Does that make sense? Yes, of course. They wow. they they showed me their whiteness. Yeah. Their code switching. Their they came to me. I didn't go to them. Mm-hmm. But I never understood that. I don't think I understood that I had to even try. Even try. Like, what does that mean for you? Like, I remember in high school, there was a, um, a situation where a group of kids, they did like a um, talent show and a black group won the talent show. And a great group of guys, by the way. Mm-hmm. And still friends with today. And there was some really hateful speech that was put on a blackboard after they won. And the, all the black kids of my school, which was, it was a lot, but it was a predominantly white school still, um, did like a sit-in afterwards. And what hurt me the most, how could it hurt me? Like that's the white privilege part, right? It hurt me that they were this way, just so you know. Um, Poor, poor them. they, They wouldn't even talk to me during this like time right they were commuting together in their pain and their hurt and their but i was mad they weren't even i'm like i'm your friend what the heck you know like we 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 grew up together what are you talking about but they had every right to be angry and every right to be upset why did i make it about myself (laughs) and my feelings right somehow i made it about me that's the white privilege thing right like (laughs) but that was because i didn't understand and so and I wasn't a bad person, but I just didn't get it. Yeah, you just didn't get it. I uh, didn't understand. And, 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 you know, in fairness, I mean, you know, I know some people listen to this and they 
will may not even believe that you're being authentic now, right? Because of their bias, because of their experience, and because of their anger towards white people in general. Sure. But how dare you be ignorant like exactly. that? Like, how I, dare you i promise you the other night probably and that particular friend of mine's likely going to listen to this um but he and i was talking at like two in the morning and he doesn't want he doesn't want to give passes for ignorance of a white person not understanding right and i'm still sharing with him like but there are people that just didn't get it in in africa some of my african friends they share with me they don't understand my blackness either my african-american blackness they don't understand my position on certain views and complaints and things like that but i'm looking at them thinking but you're black but in africa they are african and it's not a separation of color it's maybe class or tribes you know that type of thing but it's not an american black versus white versus light-skinned black versus right none of that Right. And even so in I, Europe, it's different. It's, it's, even in Europe, it's a very different, different narrative that's being shared. Yeah. London friends are different. Very even. different. Yes. When yeah. I lived abroad, it was Brazil. Different. I mean, there's a huge African community, but it's yeah. it, it, it's very differently. It's different. Yes. America fudged this up. <laughs> well, I said, you said it nicely. I you said, said it nicely. <laughs> yes. They did. Um, America. Yes. They fudged it up. Yes. Um, with their oppressive tactics yes and all of everything else that is attached to oppression but as i shared recently and i know again i may get flack from this and i really don't care even the oppressor is oppressed because the oppressor has to keep this warped sense of thinking in order to continue to oppress and they can't even live free either because they're so busy trying to make sure that everything is quote status quo gotta keep it it's a a very very interesting space for a lot of people to be in and find themselves in now i get on the elevator and some of my white neighbors it's like they want to scream at me and say i'm not one of them hi they're so super duper extra nice that nice is not going to fix uncomfortable (laughs) nice is not going to fix this that's nice isn't going to fix it this is not going to fix this you know i look at them like my issue is not with every white person. It's the no. system. Systemic racism is the problem. Um, some of the, the 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 way of thinking, the the mentality that some are raised up in this, and they don't even understand that there is a different way to think. They, it's like taking someone's religion away from them when they're in their fifties. It's literally a cult. You know, and it, when you realize that you have been indoctrinated in such a way, yeah. It, first of all, it's hard. Like I'm literally fighting with my family and friends that I've had my entire life. Yeah. I'm literally fighting with them. Like I will probably lose people that I care about deeply in this conversation. And you have, you have, that's hard. That's hard. And I'm not saying that that you shouldn't, but that's extremely hard for people. And <clears throat> I think probably, and this is the white fragility, it's really hard to say that we fudged it up. Mm-hmm. because this heritage and this we're an amazing culture and how we're even taught as a culture America is this great amazing place that you must come to to get your dreams and so if we've done it all this right way then how could it possibly be wrong yeah 
and it is so fundamentally wrong. And you know, I remember when Trump was was elected, I was talking to my, we call her Granny, my for for Zeke, my dear friend Lillian, and um, she, I said, how. I mean, I, I I worked on Obama's campaign and I cried when he was elected. I was like, this is amazing. This was before I even like had black children and all of that. Like, again, I thought I was woke. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was so like, okay. And then Trump gets elected and I'm crying for such different reason. Oh, absolutely. Right? I'm literally crying, like what is happening to our country? And um, I remember Lillian telling me, and she's such a wise woman. She said, maybe this is what needs to happen maybe the ugly needs to come out so we can Mm. face it straight on wow and this is a woman who comes from slaves this is a woman whose father she was raised in a sharecropper's house Mm -hmm. okay in arkansas like the worst of it right who couldn't walk at night by herself like she and but she's an amazingly accomplished and wonderful person. I'm like, how are you not mad? Like I'm, I'm like, how are you this amazing wise person who is not angry right now? Like, and she's like, because my mom and dad taught us like anger is not gonna help anything. Like it's just not gonna fix it. And Jesus wasn't angry. Like the only time he was angry was in the temple when they were selling things. Really, that's the only time you ever see him angry. His job was to do things differently. So we do things differently. And I said, but I'm pissed. Like, <laughs> and she's like, you need to go through these emotions. It's like the process of grief. Like you need to, so I'm like literally grieving my white privilege. Wow. So, but that's really what's happening. I'm having to determine in my life what is appropriate and what is not. And who are the people that are gonna support that and who are not. And I'm 46 years old, 45 years old. I'm at the point where if you're not going to support my life and what I believe and my son and whatever, bye-bye. But I'm going to try my hardest to help you learn and grow. I'm going to try my hardest. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's, I, and again, like, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. Yeah, 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 <laughs> because yeah. that's not what I want about this. No. I every black person has the right to be really mad. You know, and like, but like in the in the in the elevator, I do. I want to hug everyone. I know, like, I know, and I can tell. I literally want to hug them because I, I want to take away some of their burden. Like I literally want to like, I, I, and it's not maybe the rescue mentality. Maybe it's that like that 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 we need to like fix it or I don't know. But it's um, it's a genuine compassion and empathy that I feel, and I know that not everyone's gonna want to feel that from me. I totally get it. That's uh, and even with my son, I want you to support my son. The black community needs to support my son. Please support my son. If you don't like me, that's fine. That's totally fine. But my son needs you. Yeah, yeah. That's that's huge. And and I'm sure that he is going to be embraced because you're, you're putting forth that effort to make sure that he's embraced. Um. And and you know, I think we. You know, we we grew up in this in this world this way, and it and we are angry. Many of us are angry. Many of us are upset. Many of us are tired. Many of us. You're are... angry and tired with each other. Yeah, because you can't be angry and tired with right, me. right, 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 right. It be, because we oftentimes have felt it's not going to change anyway, right? Now is a time where I believe more in change than ever before. 
Yeah. Um, and as painful as it may be for some business owners, and as painful as it may be for some people in leadership, I really don't care <laughs> because we need this pain because we've been feeling the pain for a very long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's past time for something to be different. And we have to challenge ourselves to think differently and behave differently as a people in America. It's not a black or a white or this, it's an American problem that has spilled over into all over the globe, but we have it really bad. Oh yeah. Um, we have it really, really, really bad. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm angry too. I'm just, I'm, I'm just more understanding when I, when I look at the, uh, when I look at the whole system, some of my white friends grew up not knowing either. So I can't hold them accountable for what they didn't know, but I do hold them now accountable for what you can no longer deny. And I posted, I, I, I'm sure this one part, I posted on Facebook, I said, your silence, to my dear white friends, your silence is complicity. Yeah, and, and it makes me uncomfortable because if I unpack it, I don't know what I'm going to find. Right. And But I've been blessed to have amazing white friends that are true friends and are good people. And good people, meaning they understand and they speak up about right and wrong issues. We don't always agree with everything, but as it relates to inclusion and diversity and equity, things of that nature, they're, we're, we're sitting, even in their white privilege, we're still sitting on the same bench talking about the things that are necessary for everyone. Yes. And more specifically, those that are, you know, being, um, I guess, yeah, <laughs> oppressed based on the color of their skin, you right. know? And I appreciate that. I, you know, I, I think many of us appreciate that, that grew up in those types of communities. But I think your friend who, um, well, I think there's a lot of white people who are apologizing. Yes. Uh, so I think <laughs> a he lot of apologies. very valid in, in his thought process, right? Like, you're just doing this so you don't get fired. You're uh -huh. just doing this so you don't look bad or look racist. I, I, I totally agree with you, and I see through it, too. Like, I totally, that to me doesn't help the problem, and it actually only makes it worse. Because yes. until now, they, like, the, the comments of, like, I have black friends, or I have a black godmother, or I have black, th that, or... Like now we're becoming more integrated because more and more people are intermarrying and they're having biracial children and things like that. Well, I have a, a grandson who's black, you know, so, uh, but you can tell you actually live in that. You, you don't really understand that. But I think, and I don't, I don't want to blame here, but I, I do think that part of I, this dialogue is so important because part of the issue, like I said, is my black friends protected me from what they were going through because it wasn't something they were allowed to talk about. Mm -hmm. That wasn't encouraged or questioned, or it wasn't, so what people, people did this thing or doing this thing, right? This culture and the doctrination and it's happening, but because of the doctrination and the culture, but people know that they can't talk about this because I'm sure the last time you talked about somebody, this, this to somebody who didn't really appreciate it, was really angry and like, like it didn't get you anywhere, right? So it, it they wanted us to get over it. Right. Oh, yeah, it's time. Yeah, it's time. Or just go back to where you because came Because you from. had a black president. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> right, that solves everything. That, that, that fixes it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you can do anything now, so you're fine. Yeah. Um, 
yeah so so for me i feel like i really hope my black friends know they can talk about it and i have reached out to a lot of my black friends and said what can i do to help you um if i have you know i feel like now is the time for me to tell you that i i i feel what you're going through i don't I don't pretend to be black. I don't understand what it's like to be black, but I am starting to feel what you are going through. I'm learning about some of the things that you're going through. I, I don't have years and years and years and years of experience with that, but I, I, I'm on a journey. This is my lived experience. This is what I'm doing. And my legacy, and that's how I kind of locked, locked up the, the lived experience piece. Yeah. I want the world to be better for my son. I don't want a mom, next generation, to be having the same conversation with a black woman because we're not there yet. So I have a very vested interest in my son being safe. I have a very vested interest of him being whatever he wants to be. I have a very vested interest of white people accepting him for who he is and a very vested interest of black people accepting him who he is. So I... It's time. There's no more time. It's a, a time. Enough is enough. And so that to me is, if I have to face some difficult questions, if I have to hit it hard on, if I have to lose people that I love, if I, that it's time. But not everyone's gonna be that strong and not everyone's gonna be that... My hus- I'm driving my husband crazy right now. I wanted to ask about him. <laughs> I'm driving my husband crazy right now. Like literally face on every day with stuff. And it's and he's he's a great guy. Like he's he's a good guy. He's he loves his son. He gets it for the most part. But sometimes I'm like, mm, did you just hear yourself? You don't get to decide how people who have been oppressed get to protest. You don't get to decide that. You have to take your white privilege and decide how somebody who's been oppressed gets to No, you don't get to tell them the right and wrong way. To, to do something. His big thing is the American flag. Should not be disrespected. He's a soldier. Mm-hmm. I get it. But it, the, the whole reason why you fight is to be able to have the right to do this. Yeah. So we've gone back and forth, back and forth. So even with men in my own, my own yeah. thing, we're going back and forth. But he always says to me, the world needs more people like you and you need, they need people like me to protect you. Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, there, there's, there, it, I, I, it, I feel it. I, it's a different kind of thing. I, I am, I'm an army of one. I actually said that because of the Dixie, not the Dixie, the Chick song, the march. Yeah. But um, the there is. I feel like that. Like I feel like, and I don't know. I have a couple of white friends who have talked to me offline. One is married to a black man and has biracial children, who has come to me very sad and said people who I thought were my friends are not my friends. Yeah. People who I thought were my friends do not support my family, do not support my children and the future of my children. And I've had other white friends who work very strongly in other minority groups like LGBTQ and different, who who are definitely on yeah. the right path and on, and have said to me, I support you. And I, and I, I know this has to ache in your deepest part of your soul for the for the safety of your child. Like there are people who really truly, I think, get it. Not the majority. We're still not there yet. But it's those people that I'm kind of clinging to in this to help us kind of continue the conversation. And I do think that our collective whiteness 
can help us enter conversations that unfortunately has not been entered to. We're safer in some way, or I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But to me, I've had the most powerful conversation. I when when I was doing my master's degree in this diversity and cultural mm -hmm. communication, my whole thesis was on how diversity training doesn't work. And how a three-hour conversation about race is not going to change, just ingrained how you're raised. And my whole thing was, you have to have, my whole ending kind of hypothesis was, you have to have a genuine relationship with somebody that you truly love, that is not like you, mm -hmm. to understand what other people go through. Yeah. That's the experience. That's the experience. That's the experience. But even now, I would even take it a step further. You have to have skin in the game yeah. to really, really understand it. Mm -hmm. um, so even then, I, you know, like I say, like I, I was woke, but I wasn't, I wasn't. Um, you were waking up. <laughs> I, was, I was starting to put little pebbles against the armor, right? Like that was starting to happen. But, even before that, I thought I, I kind of knew, but I didn't know. Like, I just, that's the thing you said, and it's really powerful. The one thing I teach my children all the time is the, the one thing you know for sure is you don't know everything. Is that you don't know. You just don't. And you, you have to constantly ask questions, constantly learn, constantly explore, constantly read, constantly learn. That is the thing that you will take you and evolve you as a human being and truly manifest the gift of God. Like, that is to be learned <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing that you need to be so that is that is my mission and and if i can impart some of that like sharing resources like that here like if and when i watch a movie that i think kind of whether it's selma or if it's just mercy or if it's martin luther king jr or malcolm x that kind of or even um oh what was the movie that just came out and i can't it um I think it was Black Cake it is the one with um oh he's a police officer and he and he has oh. to win and he's uh, into the KKK yeah, and he's, he infiltrates the KKK yeah, yeah. um when yeah. I watch those those movies and I see like these are and I'm a huge bi biography historical biography drama that's like one of my favorite and I really enjoy there's not enough, I think, of them, of the Black films and the Black experience. And I really seek them out, especially with my son. I want him to, to know. And I want to be able to tell these stories because it's very traditional. Um, like I share that on my Facebook page. And I say, you should watch this. And you should learn. And you should, you know, this is something that you should, did you know this existed? Like, like we don't know. And I, and I, we don't know what we don't know sometimes. Yeah. And that's the problem. <laughs> we just don't know. So I don't want you to forgive my don't knowness. I don't, because we have a social responsibility to learn. We do. We have a social responsibility to learn. I'm going to say it one more time. We have a social responsibility to learn. And if we don't take our responsibility, I have no sympathy or compassion for you to learn. We have a social responsibility to learn. We have a human responsibility to learn. So for me, I'm gonna learn. Yeah. And when I learn, I'm gonna share. And when I share, I'm hopefully gonna educate. And hopefully more and more people will learn and share and educate. Mm -hmm. And that I think, and maybe because the diversity thesis said, 
they know me, maybe we'll be able to break down some barriers. Wow. But because they've never gotten outside of their little microcosm of a world, they may not be exposed to anybody who's an other. And so my non-otherness is not threatening and I can kind of chink at the armor along the way. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna save the world. I'm gonna save some babies maybe along the way, but I'm not gonna save the world. And, um, but I'm not gonna save the world, but I am going to do whatever I can personally in my relationships. And I'm going to be very authentic about it as much as I possibly can. And I'm also gonna tell you that I'm in the very beginning yeah. I'm, I'm like a baby step. Like I, I'm just starting to walk, you know, like in this. So um, I have a long way to go. And I hope by the time my son is a man, I can give him the tools he needs yeah. to navigate this. But that's, that's all I can do, right? I, I, I love it. I'm sure that Jane Elliott started off in the same space. And look yeah, at, and look she's at, amazing. She's a, she tells it like it is. I love her. She's like, yeah, we're racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's your white privilege. That's what that is. I mean, she. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure you know she started off with an awakening, and I'm okay passing away, being assassinated, and you, doing that blue-eyed experiment. Yeah, was her first like this is not okay. Yeah. Like, look how quickly this happened, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. She, she's amazing, and 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 um, and her how she teaches, um, and how she challenges. Oh yeah, she's awesome. That look like her to think and to see, um, because it's our reality. So when she talks to us, it's our reality. But it's a wake up for those that will allow themselves to be, as we say, become woke. Right? <laughs> I hate that phrase, but you know, okay. On, on, on I swear, it's something funny. But on that note, um. God, you know, we, this is, this has been a beautiful conversation. Um, but as you said, you, you plan to share and to continue to learn and to continue to educate, um, just, you know, try to change your immediate circle. It's something, it's interesting how women have always led. We've always led and we've led in movements from conversation to creating change that has affected generations. Mm-hmm. Women have done that. And we don't get a lot of credit for it. We, we are, we're called loud mouth and this and that, and we're too emotional and all this other drama. But we speak up. And when we do speak up, and when we do get, when we catch someone's ear that's listening, mm-hmm. we create change. Yeah. Um, and so I appreciate you being a woman of passion about this and civil rights didn't happen without the help or could have never happened without the help of white people and a lot of white women helped when it comes to human rights and civil rights and and so i don't discredit it one bit and just like there was a wake up and a movement during that time there's a wake up and a movement during this time and you know we got 400 plus years of the oppression and you know it it even goes back to biblical writings in oppression to be honest with you and whether it was color based or not we've seen oppressive tactics being used throughout so you know already we have another 40 years and there will be probably a black woman and a white woman having a conversation 
about change and whatever that change would be, I don't know, but I think we've been doing this from the beginning of time. And I believe that this is our time. Um, and I believe that you and I grow old and we'll look back at our adult children and we'll remember the efforts that we have put in to, to helping them to get to where they are. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm thankful for, and I honor this space and this time between you and I, um, because there's going to be a lot of people that's going to listen and there may be a lot of people that view it and they may not always agree with what we're saying, but they have to respect where we're coming from. They have to know that our hearts are in the right place in this current time. We just want change that allows our kids to grow yes. and be okay as humans. That's it. Whatever they want to be. That's it. That's it. it doesn't They're matter. Happy, happy and successful and whatever they do. You know, healthy, is, happy, successful children. That is, that is what we are desiring for our children. That is mm -hmm. it. So I, I want you to quickly um, leave with those that are listening um, information about how they can find you and follow you on your journey as you are um, sharing, you know, the things that you're learning through your experiences um, and your discovery. So if you could leave that information. So I, wrote, I write a blog called Lemonade Tales mm -hmm. because um, this whole concept of turning lemons into lemonade. Mm -hmm. Life is hard. Life is hard. And how we process that life is what I think makes us or breaks us. And so to me, I am determined to make lemonade, mm -hmm. even though sometimes it gets in your eye yeah. <laughs> and it's not always sweet enough. And some of those kinds of things. Um, so it's called LemonadeTales.com. I have not written there very often. I was telling Queenie before this that during some of the foster care time, um, to be respectful of my foster children, I have not written about their experience. And I really worry about writing about Zeke because I don't want him to carry my white load. Mm -hmm. um, but I do want him to know I fought for him. Like that's something that I think is super important. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm kind of careful lately about writing. I wrote a lot about infertility and about foster care and adoption in the beginning, like just the process and what that meant and what it looked like, as well as my journey to find my biological father and some of those kinds of things. So I'm sure I'll be writing more. Like when I wrote this piece, I was like, oh, this is just out it. Um, but I also want to make sure I'm not talking too much and I'm doing a lot of listening and learning in the process. So I need to process, stop, listen, listen, and process. And it's not going to stop processing, just doing around in there, um, just with one writing. Uh, but you know, I'm not, so I don't, I have no desire to be a Gloria Steinem or a um, Angela Davis or like, that's not my, like, <laughs> like not my thing. However, um, my, 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 I know, like, even with my infertility, who I affected and who I, when I shared my story, women who had those experiences came to me. Women who are having these same experiences are coming to me. My circle of people are feeling it in a way that I think is important and powerful. So um, I welcome conversation for sure uh, with anyone. Um, and I actually, if people challenge this, I want to know, like I, because we don't know what we don't know, right? Yes. So I want to hear that. It may be very difficult for me to hear and I may disagree with them. However, I want to hear it. Um, but uh, I'm on every social platform possible. I do marketing for 24 seven, essentially. So I'm on Instagram, I'm on, I'm on <laughs> Facebook. Uh-oh. <laughs> my husband is home and my vicious little 10 pound dog is going to greet him. 
Um, so the I'm on every, Beverly Cornell McGlynn. Beverly Cornell um, is, is my my professional name, um, but I definitely welcome conversation and I welcome um, that. And if you want to to go along on my journey with me, that I'd be very grateful and blessed for you to to do that. Yeah, so I definitely will leave the link um, up to your blog. I just you know I, I want I, I really would love for. Um, those that's listening to read that particular um, writing. It was amazing and it was so heartfelt and it showed and I think it will show who we are listening to. It showed who we're dealing with. It showed, it showed so much of me. It wrote in such a vulnerable face. Um, I could feel it. I could see it. I could read it. I mean, I I, um, you know, I, I cried with you as I'm reading this because I don't know what it's like to be a white woman, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, in a time such as this, I just know what I'm doing. Um, but because I'm such an empath, I can only imagine what it feels like for a, a person that, you know, that th- this is not what they wanted. I didn't want this. You know, I, I just want to be friends. I just want to be okay. I just, you know, I want it to be okay that I'm raising black kids and I want it to be okay to have. And so I can only imagine what that feels like because you too are carrying. You know, you're carrying the weight of your ancestors, no matter whether you want Very to or not. So. And we're holding you accountable for what they did, even if you didn't have anything to do with it. You know what I mean? And so I can only imagine what that feels like. And and so when I read it, you know, my heart ached for you as well, understanding that this is a mom first. And as a mom, we're all having these conversations. If you have anyone in our circle that looks anything like what we're seeing on these TV screens, um, it's tough. It's not easy. It's just not easy to move. I mean, I know that's what happens to us. You know, we women are like... When George Floyd said the word mama, it, it, it resonated. It broke me. It broke me. In such a way, I have never been broken. And yeah. I think every mom could feel, like, if you love your children, uh, I mean, how could you not feel that? So that mom thing <laughs> is yeah. a very powerful that, thing. I think that that brought a lot of us together, black and white um, alike. It brought us together. Because that's that one thing that we all can relate to. If yeah. you know, and and, and I, you know, I won't go into Floyd. I'm Floyd, but um, but his mother, if I'm not mistaken, had passed away. Passed and so, away. Yeah, so it could have been. That, it it just a lot to it. it. I know. I'm like, there's <laughs> so much to that, and and, it, and it, it's just heart wrenching. And, and again, you know, but I just want to make sure that um, I, I do want to share the piece that you wrote because it's it's beautiful, and um, I really thank you. I, I thank you for honoring my space and coming and joining me. I'm, Thankful to Molly. I know she's going to hear this. Molly, thank you so much for bringing Beverly and I together. And, and Beverly, this has been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you so and much for having me and for being part of it and listening. And <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that means a lot to me too. So thank you. Yeah. And, and you know what? I commend you for being a foster mom and a doctor mom and a mom mom. I mean, <laughs> a military mom, girl. I'm a mom. I'm a mom. And I'm a fur mom. <laughs> you got a lot of So I commend you and um, good luck on your on your beautiful journey. And I think we're going to get through this together. Really. I think we're all going to get through this together. Um, these conversations mean a lot. And they if it if only one person hears it they can take it back exactly and one thing if they learn one thing one one tidbit one nugget that that's it it's our responsible social responsibility to learn so it's also our our social responsibility i love i love that so again thank you so much um we're gonna wrap this up listeners as always i appreciate you coming and joining me on the black house podcast always love i hope that this conversation 
gives you something that you might not have had when you first turned it on. Um, I love you all. I'm a very healthy and, and kind space, and I wish the best for you. So thank you all for joining me. And again, Beverly, I honor this space. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.